Welcome, everyone. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Welcome, Smyrna Campus, everybody connecting with us online. We're so glad that you've connected with us there. Well, we are in this series called Be Encouraged, and it's right through the book that Paul wrote, the letter that Paul wrote called 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. Go ahead and be turning there, if you would, the, the book of 2 Corinthians. And in each week, we're looking at just going straight through a section of that of that letter, and today we're going to be in chapter 3, picking up with verse 1 of chapter 3. But before we get there, I want to throw something out at you. Which one of these is true? Christians should be humble. Christians should be confident. Which one of those is true? Both, absolutely. Here's the problem. It's hard to balance those two things. Humility and confidence. Athletes have to try to balance this all the time if they're very good athletes, right? Sometimes the ego can get out of control. But if they could keep it under control, an athlete will only be at its best when he has confidence, right? So confidence is a good thing. And, and yet if you're appearing to be overconfident, people will think you're being arrogant at the same time. So for a Christian, it's hard to, to balance being humble like we should be, but yet having the confidence that God wants us to have to live out the Christian life that he's called us to live. Uh, a grandfather was called in by the IRS for an audit, and uh, the IRS was concerned because grandpa seemed to make a lot of money without any full-time work. He had no full-time job. And Grandpa claimed that he made all of his money because he was such a good gambler. And, and so the IRS said when they brought him into the office, we just don't believe that you can make all this money, that you're that good a gambler, that you're making that kind of money. Grandpa brought his attorney with him to, to back him up on these things. So they're sitting in the office, and, and Grandpa says, well, if you're not sure you can believe me, how about a demonstration? Would that help you? The IRS agent said, well, that, that would probably help. Go ahead. So he said, okay, I'll bet you $1,000 I can bite my own eye. The agent thought about it for a minute. He said, okay, I'll take that bet. Grandpa pulled out his glass eye and bit it, put it back in. The agent knew he had been taken, you know, he's, he's a little embarrassed, but, but there's the attorney sitting there. He knows he's got evidence that, it, you know, he owes him $1,000 now. And Grandpa says, well, I'll give you another chance. I, I, I don't want you to be able to, to make your money back. So he said, I'll bet you $2,000 I can bite my other eye. The guy could tell Grandpa wasn't blind. So he thought, well, there's a good bet. He said, okay, I'll take the bet. Grandpa took out his false teeth and bit his other eye. <laughs> now the agent's all upset and he's just, I can't believe it. I've already down all this money now. Uh, I don't know how I'm going to get the money back. I, I owe you all several thousand dollars now. What am I going to do? And Grandpa says, well, do you want to go double or nothing? He says, I don't know. What is it? What, what are you saying you're going to do? He says, you see that full glass of water you have on your desk? I'll bet you that I could stand on one side of your desk for $6,000. I can throw that glass of water over your desk 
into the wastebasket and never spill a drop. The agent doesn't want to lose any more money. But he looks at the water. He looks at the desk. He looks at the wastebasket. He says, that's an impossible thing. Nobody can do that. He says, I'll take that bet. Grandpa stands up and he gets the glass of water standing at one end of the desk and he, and he throws it over and it spills everywhere. All over the desk, all over the agent, his jacket's soaked, his lap is soaked, everything gets wet all over the desk. The agent just stands up and cheers and says, all right, I finally won my money back. I came out okay on this. But he looked over and grandpa's attorney is just weeping his eyes out. The agent asked the attorney, what? What's wrong with you? Why are you so upset? He said, well, before we came in here, Grandpa bet me $30,000 he could throw water all over you and you'd be happy about it. <laughs> Confidence can be a good thing if it's, you know, if it's right, if it's in the right thing, okay? Okay. Uh, and as Christians, we've got some guidance in God's word on the kind of confidence we need to have. In Romans 12 and verse 3, it says this, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So, so first of all, don't think more highly of yourself than you should. That's the humility, right? the humility we ought to have. But then in 2 Timothy 1, Paul says to Timothy in verse 6 and 7, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit uh, God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So Paul says to Timothy, as, as a Christian with God's spirit in you, you need to be confident. You need to be bold. With that. So let's look at now this section in 2 Corinthians, beginning in chapter 3 and verse 1, where Paul gives us three great reminders of how to balance out humility and confidence in our lives. Let's start with verse 1 here. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? The first lesson or the first, I, I believe, reminder that Paul gives us about balancing these two things is that we need to resist the temptation to try to impress others as Christians. We need to resist the temptation to go through life trying to impress other people. And that's not easy because in our culture, that's really something that that is pressed upon us that we should be impressive, that we should, we should show off if we have the opportunity. And yet as Christians, we're supposed to resist that temptation to impress others. Now in verse one, when he talks about these letters uh, that he's saying, do we need those letters? He's talking about in that culture, letters of recommendation is what we might call them. When people moved or traveled from one place to another, they didn't have the ability to Google somebody and find out about them. They, they didn't have a Facebook page. They didn't even have MySpace back then. It was way before that, right? So, so they didn't have a way to check people out. And the way they helped with that, especially in the Christian community, but outside the Christian community too, is they would get prominent people 
to write a letter of recommendation for them that they could take with them where they were going. That became more important for the church when persecution started rising up. They wanted to know that that person who's coming to their church was genuine and not somebody that was acting like a spy to try to uncover who was a Christian and who wasn't so that they could be persecuted. So letters of recommendation began to be very, very important. And now Paul is saying, even as an apostle, do you, do you expect me to, to have letters of recommendation for you before you'll believe me and listen to me and understand that I have reason to have the authority to teach you like I'm teaching you? So he says, we, we want you to know that we believe our position that God has given us and our, our teaching that we've done over the years already, our, our influence, our, our life example has been good enough that we should not have to have, in addition to that, letters of recommendation. We shouldn't have to brag on ourselves or have somebody else brag on us in order for you to listen to our teaching and come under our authority. When we have any amount of success, sometimes it could go to our heads. We could get some ego out of control. Uh, I remember uh, hearing about this preacher that, that wrote his first book, and he was very proud of it, and, and it had, had received some acclaim, and, and he was enjoying the, the notoriety that it was giving him. And so next Sunday at church, he got up in front of his congregation, and he's, he led his prayer this way. Oh, God, thou who hast also written a book, Wow. <laughs> Putting himself on that level, right? You see how the ego can get out of control. And Paul's not saying my ego's out of control. He's saying, as humbly as I can say it, I don't think I need to have letters of recommendation. I mean, we, he already wrote the first letter. He's already visited with these people on more than one occasion. They know him very well. They should be willing to listen to his teaching and come under his authority. Letters of recommendation are not always even very accurate, are they? I mean, you may have written some along the way yourself or had somebody write some for you. I, I ran across some of these uh, kind of funny letters of recommendation. Uh, one guy was asked, a boss was asked to write a letter, a letter of recommendation for an employee for another job he was applying for. It was like a promotion for him. And honestly, the boss would be glad to get rid of the guy, right? So he was trying to word a letter of recommendation that wouldn't hurt his ability to get the other job. So here's what he said. If you could get Bob Johnson to work for you, you will be extremely fortunate. <laughs> you could take that a lot of different ways, couldn't you? <laughs> Another boss was asked to write a recommendation for a guy that was really obnoxious, and he wrote this. When you come to know Tim Hawkins the way I know him, I'm confident you will feel about him exactly the way I do. <laughs> we want people to like us, and we want to have a good reputation. That's not bad. But sometimes we let ourselves get too caught up in what other people think. We're, we're too quick to try to impress people that we don't need to worry about impressing I mean, really, the only one opinion ultimately matters the most, and that's God's opinion of who we are and how we're living our lives. 
So if somebody doesn't really like us or they are believing lies about us or, you know, rumors or gossip about us that's not true, it's okay to want to defend yourself, but, but you have to understand it. It's all right if everybody doesn't like you the way you would like for them to like you. The bottom line is, what does God know about you and believe about you? That matters more than anything. In Galatians 1.10, Paul said this, am I, now, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. If your goal is to be a people pleaser, you can never serve Christ well. Because you can never serve Christ consistently and please everybody all the time. You can't. So we've got to get our egos out of the way. We've got to stop thinking that the most important thing is to impress other people and please other people. So that's the first thing. Resist the temptation to impress others. The second thing I think Paul reveals to us is we need to rejoice in the endorsement of other believers. Look at verses 2 and 3. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Paul is saying, instead of written letters of recommendation, he's saying to those Christians at Corinth, you are our living letters of recommendation. He's saying, you, you listened to the first letter. You made the corrections. You, you are working on improving and getting on track and doing what you need to do. And the fact that, that you are living for Christ and having a, good, a better witness for Christ now and you've repented and you're doing what you need to do, that's the only recommendation we need. That's the only thing that, that, that really is important here is that our work, our ministry has been effective in your lives. There's a lot of people out there criticizing the church today. And I can understand it. We, you know, as a church, we're made up of flawed, failed human beings and, and we make mistakes and we come short. We're, we're not Christ. We are just trying to live for Christ, right? So, Obviously, if you want to find something to criticize in the church, you can find it. But at the same time, there's a lot in the church that God is doing in the church that is remarkable, that is amazing, that is a powerful testimony to the work of the gospel in the world today. It's true here at Lakeshore. I was... Oh, I, I had this whole series planned a while back, and I knew this week I was going to be talking about the confident Christian. And... I started thinking and watching for examples of that in the Lakeshore family. And so over the last several weeks, I've really been watching you even more. Now, some of you think I watch you at home too. I don't, okay? I don't have any spies. I don't have any hidden cameras or anything, okay? So, so if I'm preaching on something that you know you just did, it's not because I knew about it, okay, necessarily. But here's the thing. I like to catch you doing good things. As your pastor, more than anything else, I love to catch you doing good things, representing Christ well. And over the past few weeks, I've known this all along, but I've been noticing some really good things that God's been working in you and through you and through this church so that good things are happening. 
just uh, last weekend, we had youth sponsors at the Smyrna campus who took a group of our youth from there on a weekend retreat out at Paul and Brenda Smith's cabin out at the lake, their house out at the lake there. And, and, and these are just, along with, with our staff, they're, paid, they're, they're unpaid volunteers who are giving themselves over to serving our youth. And they took time out of their schedules and their weekend to go out there with them and pray with them and laugh with them and, and, and teach them and Spend the weekend with them. And it's powerful in those kids' lives when people do something like that. It's not just our Smyrna campus sponsors. Wednesday night, I was up here at the church when, when we have our Wednesday night youth program here. And we have our youth sponsors here at the Antioch campus who are here on Wednesday night. And they're, they're hugging on the kids and, and uh, sitting down and eating with the kids. And they're teaching the kids and praying with the kids. And man, I'm thinking... For somebody in middle school or high school, that's huge to have some adults who will just voluntarily give them their time and their energy and their efforts to come and do that with our kids. But it wasn't just that. We had other volunteers here. We had a safety team person out front who, who was uh, making sure the campus was safe and secure while, while we were all here. We had, we had a group of men from a life group a great life group. I love our life groups. and our, All of our life group leaders are volunteers in what they're doing. Yet they give their time and their energy and their effort to meeting together with their life groups and teaching the lessons and, and planning activities with them. And we've got this life group led by Paul and Brenda Smith. Paul's going through cancer treatments right now. I want you to be praying for Paul, lifting him up in prayer. It's really in the last few uh, treatments that he's getting now. So the cumulative effect of it is really taking a toll now on Paul. With the guys in that group called me and said, uh, said, Pastor Andy, we really want to have time where we bring Paul up to the church campus. We have some of the elders pray over Paul and lay hands on him. But these guys loved their life group leaders so much, they made sure they came and they took the initiative. And we got the, some of the elders together and we, we had them come into the pastor's parlor there and we, we knelt down and we anointed them with oil and prayed over them for healing. And, and friends, this is really good stuff that God's doing in this place. For these men to be stepping up like this and, and caring like this and serving like this is huge. It's easy to be critical of the church when you're looking to be critical. But when you're looking for the good things, you can see amazingly powerful things that God is doing. People are connecting and growing and serving in powerful ways. And that's just one life group among many good life groups that we have here at Lakeshore. I noticed too over the past several weeks, we've had some children of our members come to that decision to make Jesus the Lord of their lives and we've baptized them into Christ. That means we've got parents raising up their kids, making sure they get them here for classes, making sure they, they're supporting that in the home too because they don't come to that decision without, without a lot of people being part of them coming to that decision. So I'm thankful for the parents who are making sure you've got your kids involved and active in the children's programming and the youth programming that we have here at Lakeshore. And I'm thankful for our 
are teachers that are pouring into those kids along with the parents. Because when they make the decision to make Jesus the Lord of their lives, that's the most life-changing, eternally consequential decision they'll ever make in their lives. God's doing some amazingly powerful, good things in the church. And it's not just Lakeshore. It's multiplied many times over by many good churches out there where so many of those good things are happening. And that's the power of God at work. And that, my friends, is the only letter of recommendation the church ever needs. It's that God is doing his powerful work in and through that church. And that's what Paul's trying to say to the Corinthians. Just look at what God's doing in your lives. Look at the changing changes that are happening. Look at the growth that's taking place. That's testimony to the work of God through the ministry of the gospel that he's called us to. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18, he said this, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. He says, you want to know what really makes a good recommendation? It's what's done that lasts for eternity. That's what matters the most. That's the th stuff that really counts the most. It's what's done for Christ that will last forever. So instead of trying to impress people with these temporary things that we can do in this world, the most impressive thing in God's eyes is what we do that will last for eternity. It's the lives that are changed. It's the people that are connected to Christ and others that grow in maturity in Christ and that serve others in the name of Christ. That's what matters to God. And that's the work of the church. Well, resist the temptation to impress others. Rejoice in the endorsement of other believers and what God's doing in their lives. But the third thing is this. If we really want to balance humility and confidence, the key is to learn to rely on God's provision and not yourself. To learn to rely on God's provision and not on yourself. Let's look at verses four through six. He says, such confidence we have through our education. Is that what he said? Such confidence we have through our wealth. Is that what he said? No. Such confidence we have through our fame. Is that what he says? No, listen to what he says. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. That's where our confidence is found. It's through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter, letter kills, but the spirit gives life. He says that our confidence is not in ourselves. It's not in our own ability, our own competence. Our ability and competence is found in Christ. And as Christians, we should be able to go through life on this earth, no matter what job we have or title we hold or income level we're at or, or car we drive or house we live in or any of those things, we should still be able to have confidence because of our relationship with God and Christ. That's what should give us the confidence to live boldly in this world for Christ. 
to never have to be ashamed of ourselves, to never have to, to be embarrassed about who we are, or we don't have this, or we don't have that. We have something more valuable than this world could give us in a material way ever in our relationship with God through his son, Jesus. So our confidence needs to come in that relationship that we have with him. Scholars have, the way we've, we've divided the Bible into books and chapters and verses, they, they've come up with what they know is the very middle verse in all of the Bible, okay? The, the very middle verse of the Bible is Psalm 118 and verse 9. Right in the middle, here's what it says. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. What does he mean by princes? He means people with authority and, and wealth and influence and money. Sometimes we think that being attached to somebody like that is what should give us confidence. But he says, no, it's better to simply trust in the Lord than to try to find your confidence anywhere else, in anyone else. Trust in the Lord. That's why as a Christian, I, I, I hate it when people get so caught up in politics so that it just dominates their lives. As if this person gets elected, then we can have confidence as Christians. But, but if this one gets elected, then you can't be confident or whatever. As if either, either one would really be where you should find your confidence, right? Your confidence should never be in a politician, in a leader, in the government, in a program or activity of the government. Not, not at all. It shouldn't be in princes. It should be in who? In the Lord. You should only put your trust and your confidence in the Lord. He's the only one you know you could count on for sure. It's better to take refuge in the Lord, to find that to be where you are confident and secure and able to be bold in living out the life that God has for you. In a culture that sometimes ridicules Christianity and sometimes tries to tear you down for your faith, it is hard sometimes to speak up for Christ, to have the confidence you need to be that witness for Christ that he's called you to be. I know it is. It's hard for everybody. But here's what you have to know. If you can settle this thing, this third one, that your confidence is found in Christ and not anywhere else, it's not found in impressing other people, right? It's not found in, in the endorsement uh, uh, of, of people that don't know Christ or follow Christ. It's found in Christ and in, in the people of Christ. If that's where your confidence is found, then it's easier to be that bold witness for Christ, even in a culture, even in a world, even in a workplace that sometimes ridicules and makes fun of Christianity. I don't have to have their approval. I don't have to have them like everything about me if my goal is to please Christ. Now, that doesn't give you the right to be rude or mean-spirited or anything like that. That's not what we're saying. Confidence doesn't mean being mean or rude toward anybody at all. It's not what that means. Being bold for Christ doesn't mean treating people bad. That's not what that means. It means just the opposite. It means being confident in Christ to love those people even when they disagree with you, even if they ridicule you, but you don't compromise what you believe 
in the process while you still love them, ever. And if our confidence is found in Christ, we can be that bold, courageous leader because we take refuge in the Lord. The Golden Gate Bridge near San Francisco was built between 1933 and 1937. During the first half of the construction of that bridge, over a dozen workers fell to their death while it was being built. And they, they halted construction because they knew they couldn't allow that to continue. And they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to put a net under the bridge while they were doing the construction. In the second half of the construction of the bridge, less than, uh, I think it was six people they reported, had fallen to their deaths by the time the bridge was completed. So what happened was the net made a big difference. Now they did, I'm sorry, six people fell, but the net saved them. They didn't even die. So nobody died in the second half, but six people still fell. Now the amazing thing is less people fell during the second half, even though they knew the net was there. Here's something else that happened during the second half of construction. Construction progressed at 25% greater efficiency after the net was put in. So the net didn't make the workers more careless. It made them just as careful or more careful, but more courageous in getting the job done, more confident in their work. Now, what's that got to do with us as Christians? Well, here's the thing. We have, as we live our lives as Christians, a net, if you want to think of it that way. And I want you to think of it as God's grace is your net. Okay? You can be confident as a Christian when you know this. God loves you right now, just like you are. There's nothing you could do that will ever make him love you any more that he already loves you right now. There's also nothing you could do that would make him love you any less that he already loves you right now. So you don't have to walk through life being afraid. If I make a mistake, God's not going to love me anymore. He is. He's promised that nothing in this world could separate you from his love. So you don't have to go through life being afraid all the time. You could go through life with confidence in the love and the care and the grace of God. And, and knowing that we have the net of God's grace should not make us careless with sin. Instead, it should make us confident that even if we do stumble and fall, when we handle it the way he calls on us to, if we ask for forgiveness, we repent of our sin, his mercies are there for us every time. So we can live with confidence as Christ followers. So I want to close with this verse in Colossians chapter 1. It's, it's a powerful verse about walking forward as Christians with the confidence that God wants us to have. Begin with verse 11 through verse 14. He says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves and whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful 
that as we go through life in this world, if we could get this understanding that we're not here to impress other people, we're here to live boldly and confidently for you, and we can do that because we know you love us and you will strengthen us you will give us the presence of your spirit to indwell us and empower us to live the life you've called us to. And Father, we can have confidence that even if we mess up, if we come to you seeking your forgiveness, your love and your grace is there for us. So Father, I pray that if there's anyone today who, who needs to come to you and, and learn to live in the confidence that you want them to have as Christians, that today they would find that confidence through Christ and coming to know him as Lord and Savior of their lives. Because then, Father, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will dwell in them and empower them and give them the reason to have confidence in this world and in eternity. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.